Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. Felt like this morning I should have told uh, told John to do uh, maybe an old song from the 70s. Seemed like it wasn't there an old song that used to say something like slip sliding away in it. You know, I thought it would be appropriate with the weather that uh, we've been having. Our first service shocked me. I thought everyone would use it for an excuse. Had a pretty good crowd and, and all. But I hope you uh, managed through all the ice safely. Uh, my wife and I about stayed in Hickory too long the other day when it was... Uh, when it was coming down. Uh, in, um, in Romans chapter 11, Paul is kind of raising a question and uh, answering the question. Uh, by the way, the theme, the main theme, I want you to bear in mind because we finished that up today, but the main theme of Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 deals with the sovereignty of God. So keep that in mind because God being sovereign means everything in the world, accounting what we're talking about today. But uh, Paul raises a question, and the question is basically this. Because of Israel's unbelief, because they failed to believe in Jesus the Messiah, has God forever cast them away? And then he answers the question, no. And in particular, in, in Romans chapter 11, he gives us four proofs as to why God is not forever finished with the nation, with the people of Israel. First proof was simply a personal proof. Paul said, look at me, I'm a Jew. I'm an Israelite myself, and yet God saved me, and God has called me to serve him. So Paul himself gives evidence that God's not through with the Jews. Then he gave some historical proof. He kind of looked in the Old Testament and, and said things like, with God's foreknowledge, God knew up front what Israel would do. Uh, God always had a believing remnant. He kind of looked at the history of Israel and gave additional proof why God is not through with the nation of Israel. Last week, we looked at some dispensational proof. And, I, you know, if you weren't here last week, I realized that's one of those churchy-type words. So more or less, it just means this. God is a sovereign God, sovereignly chose to deal with mankind in specific ways through history. So he chose to deal with Israel, and then now he's dealing with the Gentiles, and he will sovereignly also choose to deal with Israel uh, again. <clears throat> Today, what we're going to talk about is is this. We're just going to kind of... Look at some additional scriptural proof. And the reason I, I called it that, because in these verses, in uh, verse 25 through 36, as we finish out Romans 11, uh, Paul really quotes a lot of scripture from the Old Testament. And we won't take time to turn and look at all these, but, but he's in Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 27 and Psalm 14 and Isaiah 40 and Job 36, Job 38, Job 41. He's kind of like all over the place in the Old Testament quoting Old Testament scripture. So really what Paul is doing is giving us just scriptural evidence, proof of what God had already said himself about the nation of Israel. So I think that's significant because if God said it himself, I'm assuming God knows what he's talking about. Is that right? I want you to look at what Paul writes in these verses. More or less, he said, I'm not finished with my people of Israel. And, and Paul here gives us some scriptural proofs. The bold part when we get there uh, is where he's quoting uh, from the Old Testament. But Paul says, lest you be wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. So he's quoting scripture. 
the deliverer, referring to Jesus, would come from Zion. And uh, Zion's just another way of saying Jerusalem. And uh, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob or the nation of Israel. And, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, in other words, the way Israel responded to the gospel, right now they're enemies of God for our sake, and that means because they rejected the gospel, they just opened the door wide for God to do what he'd always planned to do anyway, and that is to bring the gospel to, to the Gentiles. But as regards of election, talking about election, uh, they are beloved. Nation of Israel being elected, chosen by God, they are still loved, for the sake of the forefathers. And we talked about you know some of the forefathers last week, like Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob. And then he goes on, he says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time, referring to us who are Gentiles that have received Christ by faith, we were once disobedient because of our disbelief to God. But now we have received mercy because of their disobedience, because of their lack of belief. Talking about Israel. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So it sounds like God's not finished with them because he's talking about giving Israel mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, both the Gentiles and the Jews, that, that he may have mercy on all. And, and then it's like Paul breaks into a, to a course of praise. And I plan on saying this at the end, but I, I may say it both times. But you know, our, our theology ought to cause us to... Worship also. What we believe ought to cause us to praise Him. So Paul's talking about some doctrinal things right there, quoting the Old Testament and everything about how God is not finished with Israel. Now look what he says. He breaks forward in praise and says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given him a gift that he, in other words, God must repay us? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all of us ought to say, Amen to that. Paul is giving us scriptural evidence. Not just what he quotes in the Old Testament. But what Paul is writing himself is also Scripture. Paul wrote these words to Timothy, just to kind of give you an additional background of that. Paul said all Scripture, not part of it, but all Scripture was breathed out by God. All of it is divinely inspired. So, yes, the Old Testament, and even now what Paul is writing, is inspired of God. And Paul, in all the proofs he's been given us that God is not finished with the nation of Israel, really saves his best witness until last because his best witness is God himself. I mean, what better witness can you have than God himself saying, I'm not finished with Israel? We're going to look at several ways that God deals with Israel uh, based upon himself and kind of be the final proof that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. I want to repeat this because I've tried to remind you of it several times because I understand some of this is kind of technical type stuff. All right, so God's not through with Israel, but I'm not a Jew, so what does that matter to me? I want to remind you it matters a whole lot. If God keeps his promise to Israel, that's just more evidence that he keeps his promise to us. Amen? And we ought to be so glad that God always keeps his promise that he's a faithful God. Look at some reasons why. First of all, think about God's timing for a minute. God's timing. 
Paul said, lest you become wise in your own conceits, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He, he's warning us against being conceited. But because the grace of God has been given to us through Jesus as Gentiles, there's no room for us to start acting like we're special and Israel's nothing. There's no room for us to get really conceited and get lifted up in, in pride uh, about things. Uh, there's no reason for us to get conceited in a way to where we can say what God ought to do or not do as far as that goes. Because the, the issue, I think, really that Paul's raising is this. God is God and we're not. God is God and Israel is not God also. God as sovereign God, think about this, God as sovereign God has the right to choose and order the events of history, doesn't it, if he's a sovereign God, if he's an all-powerful God. So that means in God's timing, while it might seem mysterious to us, and we'll talk about that in a moment, in God's timing, God chose Israel... And then Israel, in their disbelief, fails to receive the Messiah. So God, in his timing, not any plan B, God always in his plan, in his timing, now brings the gospel to the Gentiles. And also that same God, in his timing, not mine and yours, but in his timing, based upon his will, will also take the gospel in the future to Israel. We, we say we believe that sometimes. God is God. But we don't act like it a lot of times, do we? And there are people that want to act like we can tell God what to do in regards to Israel in the future. Or there are people who are Jewish that kind of maybe get upset that God has taken the gospel to the Gentiles as though they can tell what, you know, God what to do. The, the issue is this. It's not up to you and it's not up to me. It is up to God. And God in his timing has made these choices and it, and it, and it might seem like a mystery to us. He used the word mystery. The, the word mystery literally means here in the in the Greek to shut the mouth. And what it refers to is uh, is something that was kind of revealed or talked about rather in a mysterious way in the Old Testament. And now we come to the New Testament, and God kind of pulls the cover back and reveals it. But the the thought of it is is kind of this: when God reveals it to us, it's so marvelous or so hard to understand or so wonderful that, that it just kind of shuts our mouth. I mean, what can we say about it that God decided to put a nation together from nothing, the nation of Israel? What can we say about it that he set them aside because he's God? What can we say about it that God in his marvelous grace has offered the gospel to us as Gentiles? What can we say about it that God is going to take the gospel to Israel again in the future? It, it's marvelous. All we can kind of do is say, God's doing it, and we just have to shut our mouth and watch it in his timing. He, he said it was a partial, not a full hardening, and that's where people make the mistake. Well, yeah, Israel messed up, so God's done with them. No, God says it was a partial or an allotted time that he has hardened their heart. Not total, not forever, not final. It is in existence, according to Scripture, until the, the fullness of the Gentiles. And what that simply means is this. The, the word fullness literally means to kind of fill up a container. So what that may, mainly means is this. Right now, God is dealing with the Gentiles. You ought to be thankful for that unless you're Jewish. Amen? Because you're a Gentile. Anybody that's non-Jewish is a Gentile. We ought to be so thankful that God is dealing with us. 
But there's coming a time when the last Gentile would have been saved by God's grace. There's coming a time when that container, so to speak, since he's talking about fullness, that gospel container, that Gentile salvation container is filled up. And at that point in time, in God's time, and when it happens, God will then work with Israel again. After the last Gentile has been saved, that God knows will be saved. All-knowing God. I don't know when it is. You don't know when it is. You know, I, I will give you a warning if you're here thinking today, oh, that means I've got additional time to get saved, and I can just wait and, and choose a time. You don't know when it would be. It would be before we leave the service that God takes the church out and God turns to Israel. But I'm just telling you that God's timing is the issue here. It's not what you and I want. We can't be conceited. It's not what somebody else wants. It is God's timing. And there's coming a time when God will be through sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. And he's going to turn again to Israel in his timing. Second thing about God you need to see is this. Not just God's timing, but God's promise. God always keeps his promise. God always is faithful to his word. God will never, ever take his word back. We'll explore that a little bit more in the next point. But, but look what he says here about the promise of God. And, and in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. He's saying, listen, God has already said this. What God has said is the deliverer, talking about Christ, will come from Zion and when he does, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them, my agreement, my promise with them, when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel right now, they're enemies of God for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. God is a faithful God who will always, always, always keep his promise. Now, he said, as it is written. So he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20 and 21, that God has already said he will save his people. Now, I know there are different people that have different ideas about eschatology, another churchy word that just means, you know, the study of end times is what it means. Uh, so here's my viewpoint for what it's worth. If you want to have a different viewpoint, you've got the right to be wrong. But uh, in, uh, in, in my viewpoint, there is coming a time that the church will be raptured out. And he is taking the church up to be with himself. At that point in time, there's going to be something take place that the Bible calls a great tribulation. There will be three and a half years of peace like the world has never known. And part of that might be, you know, uh, people in the world with the mindset they have today can think, wow, we got rid of all those troublemaking Christians. We can have a good time now, have a peaceful time now. But then there's going to be three and a half years of terror, the Bible teaches, as the world has never seen. And, and the Bible actually alludes to that in Jeremiah, the time of Jacob's trouble or the time of Israel's trouble. So the church is going to be taken out. We'll be gone for seven years. At the end of that, Jesus, the deliverer that he's referring to here, will come. And when he does... He brings salvation to those in Israel who will believe in him. But I love the word he uses here for deliver. It, it gives the idea of a current or a rush or, you know, it, it, but the word is built upon, it means rescue, but the word is built upon means to flow as water. Now, John and myself didn't plan this in, in any way, but he sang a song earlier in the worship service that talked about the blood flowing. You know, that's where our salvation is, guys. 
In Jesus Christ, he, our deliverer, it's, it's like salvation flows from him. He's our only hope. He's the one that died on the cross for us. Salvation and our rescue flows from him like a mighty stream, like a river. Salvation flowing from him. That's for us now. But one day when he comes back, that salvation is going to flow to the nation of Israel. When he comes back, there will be those who will see him. He will come back as their deliverer, but he'll also come back as their king. And he's going to banish ungodliness from Jacob. As their redeemer, Jesus will keep his promise to them. He will take away their sins. But let's talk a moment about that because there's a phrase there that messes people up. It says, all Israel shall be saved. That does not mean... Because you've got to read it in context of what Paul's already written. That does not mean every single person, just because they have Jewish blood running through their veins, will be saved. And here's why it doesn't mean that. Because Paul had already written this in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Do you see that? It's not just the fact that you're bloodline or your family tree is attached to Israel. It's those who believe by faith that are really Israel. And there's coming a day and time that God will keep his promise. The Messiah will return into this world. And in that moment, when that happens, God will keep his promise and redeem his people. Why? Because he had a covenant with them, a contract with them, a last will and testament can even be the way that word is considered. God promised that he would save his people Israel. So God, because of his timing, and God also because of his promise, says that he will save Israel. By the way, not because of their merit, not because they deserved it. He used the word election. Election does not mean merit. Election means choice. Israel did not deserve to be chosen by God. God just chose them out of his own sovereign will. You and I, none of us, I, I hope I'm not busting anybody's bubble this morning, but none of us deserve to be chosen. You understand that? None of us deserve to go to heaven. None of us can go knock on the door of heaven one day and say, God, you've got to let me in. After all, look at me. I'm pretty special. It's not based on performance. It's not based upon merit. Election means this. It's God's grace. God in his grace chooses us. God in his grace chose the nation of Israel, not because they deserved it. They were divinely chosen by God. And right now, he says, it might look like they're enemies because that's for our sake because the gospel has come to us. But don't, don't think they're really enemies of God forever because he said, look, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. They are loved by God because God made a contract. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Isaac. God made a covenant with Jacob. He chose them, and God will not revoke his promise. God always keeps his promise. What does that mean to you? Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If God is not a God that keeps His promise, if God is not a God that keeps His covenant, I might worry about that a little bit. Is God going to tell me one thing and do the other? See, we have that happen in experiences in life all the time. You know, whether it be a spouse or a father or a child or somebody you work for or whatever the case is. Because, but, but remember, we're not God. Amen? God always keeps His promise. 
Why do I know that I'm saved today? It's not because of Lynn Parsons or anything Lynn Parsons has ever done. The things that Lynn Parsons has done will wind him up in hell forever, to be honest with you. So it's not because of what I've done. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because God promises me salvation while I believe in Him, God always keeps His promise. You want to know why? It's because of His character. Because of His character. That's the the, the next proof that, that He gives us. Next slide, please. God's character. Look what he said in in verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. God will never break his promise. God will never revoke his promise. God will never take his covenant back. But Paul, he uses the word for, and that really means he's, he's making an argument. He's assigning an argument. That the gifts and the calling of God, and, and you know, we, in our English language, we don't think a lot of the little word the, but here, this particular word that, that Paul uses in the Greek can also be translated all. So you could say this, all the gifts of God and, and all the calling of God, every bit of God's gifts, every bit of God's calling will never ever be revoked. God will not revoke His divine grace, His divine gratuity. The, the, the root word means pardon or, or rescue. God will not revoke that. God will not revoke the invitation that he gives us. God will not repent of it. Some translations say that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God will never repent or revoke his offer of salvation. Now, and I need to run a, a little bit of a side message here just for a second. Because some people will point to this verse in the Bible and they'll say, well, this is why it means that everybody still ought to speak in tongues or everybody still ought to do this or everybody still ought to do that. This is why all the gifts, all the spiritual gifts are, are, are still active. Now, now listen, I, God's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But, but I'm just telling you this. That's not the context of what's being said here. This is not a proof verse for that. This is a proof verse for for the fact that God extends the gift of salvation, God extends a calling of salvation, and God will never ever revoke it and take it back. Because of God's character, God will never, ever, ever, ever take His promise back or lie to us. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 3, he, he had already wrote these words in the book of Romans, shall, shall their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? In, in other words... What we do does not have an effect on the faithfulness of God. What you do, what Israel has done, does not change the faithfulness of God. God will always, always, always be, be faithful. Here's some other proof verses. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6. Here's what God says. I am the Lord, I change not. That's pretty clear, isn't it? He, he also says this in, in Numbers. God is not a man that he should lie. Now, if you'll think about the implication there, we might not like that very well because it more or less is kind of saying if we're men, we, we're probably guilty of lying. But he said, God is not a man that he should lie or son of man that he should ever change his mind. God will not do that. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, talking about God, with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. You know how constant God is? God never even cast a shadow that looks like He's changed His mind. He, he never even cast a shadow that looks like He might take His word back. God never 
ever changes. God will always keep his promise. And he'll keep it to Israel. And thank God he'll also keep it to us in Christ. Writer of Hebrews said this, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. In other words, God wanted to make it clear to the forefathers that he made covenants with. He wanted to make it clear to them that, 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 his, that he had an unchanging nature. Here's what he did. He confirmed it with an oath. What does that mean? God made a promise. God made a promise so they'd understand he never changes. And God's made a promise to Israel that he will keep. Thank God he's made it Israel to us who know Christ as our Savior, that he will always, always, always keep. Fourth proof that he, that he gives us that God has never, ever done with the nation of Israel as he looks at God himself as God's mercy, God's mercy. He, he said, just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, talking about Israel. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. By the way, the word mercy just means, you know, compassion in, in word or deed, uh, uh, active compassion, tender mercy. He goes on in verse 32, and he says, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. He, here's the thought that he's given. He's telling the Gentiles who are saved by faith, He's telling us, he's telling the church, don't you remember there was a time that you were disobedient? The, the word for disobedient, if you go to the, the next screen, you'll see some words that he uses uh, here. But uh, the, the word for disobedient means that we're disobedient through disbelief. Because we failed to take God at his word, we failed to believe. So he, he's saying, remember there's a time that you were disobedient. And yet now you're saved by God's grace and mercy. So since you used to be disobedient and now God's given you mercy, guess what? You need to be willing, and it doesn't matter whether you're willing or not, God's going to do it. But he's saying you need to have the mindset that God will take mercy to Israel. Yes, they've been disobedient. They've dis they were in disbelief. I used to be in disbelief. You used to be in disbelief. Israel's in disbelief now, but God will take his grace and mercy to them. He's just reminding us, remember where you were. Remember what you used to be before God's mercy. Remember where you used to be before God's grace in your life. You used to be disobedient. You used to deserve separation from God. But now God's giving you grace and mercy. You need to allow that same God to give grace and mercy to Israel. Now, I'm going to bring that up and contemporize it just a little bit and make another application that we need to make because we're awful bad about doing this. Yeah, I used to be lost in my sin and I was in disbelief and everything, but now I have God's grace and mercy. And if we're not careful, we'll start acting like we're special and we'll start looking down on the rest of the lost and dying world, a bunch of sinners out there. You know what we need to remember? We need to remember we used to be in disbelief ourselves. We need to remember that God gave mercy to us, not because we deserved it, in spite of who we are. God gave us his mercy and you and I need to be more than willing to desire to see a lost and dying world receive the same mercy instead of us acting like we're good little Christian two-shoes. Because you and I used to be in disobedience ourselves. We used to be lost in sin ourselves. What God's done is this. He shut all of us together. That's what consigned all means. It, it, it's like he's imprisoned us all. 
Gentiles and, and Jews. Underneath disobedience, underneath disbelief, in order that he can have mercy, that compassion we talked about a moment ago, upon all. God has consigned Israel to disobedience by disbelief. God has consigned the Gentiles to disobedience through disbelief. Why? So all can be saved by His grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. That's why. No one's special. (laughs) We're all sinners in need of God's grace. In fact, everyone, everyone needs a Savior. I want to challenge you to change your mentality to where you think like that. The next time you're out in a public place, if you're out at the mall and maybe you sit down for a minute there on one of the benches and you're seeing everybody hustle and bustle going, going by, I want you to stop and think for a moment and be thankful that you're saved by the grace of God. But you need to understand this. Everybody else, no matter who you look at, no matter where they are, that person needs the grace of God too. They need the same mercy that God's given you. You need to remember that you used to be in disobedience. I don't care where you are. It might be at work. Well, I don't like people I work with. It doesn't matter. God loved them and Jesus died for them. Just a few weeks, about five of us are getting ready to go in Alexander Maximum Security Prison. I'm just assuming you don't wind up in Alexander Maximum Security Prison because you're a good person. Okay? But you know what? It seems like the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. And that means when we go behind the fence of that prison and we hear the doors close behind us and we're in there all day long, no matter which direction I look or whoever it is, they're in need of salvation. They're in need of God's grace. And I could be there except for God's grace in my life. And you could be there. And we need to remind ourselves that everybody needs a Savior. Paul has said, here's why Israel is not forever cast away from God. Because of God's timing, God sovereignly chose to deal with them. Now he's dealing with the Gentiles, he's going to deal with Israel again. Because of God's promise, God always keeps his promise. Why does he do that? Because of his character. He will never ever take his word back. He will never ever revoke his promise. We're all saved by His mercy, Gentiles and Jews alike. We need to remember that and be so glad that He will deal with Israel again. But the last argument that that Paul uses is God's wisdom. God's wisdom. He he kind of breaks forth, as I I said earlier, like in praise. It's like he's thinking about the, the unfathomable Riches of God's wisdom, the the undeniable wisdom of God, the the unsearchable wisdom of God, how how great the wisdom of God is. And he writes these words, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now remember what he's talking about, that he will deal with Israel again? You might not can figure it out, I might not can figure it out, I can just take my... Faith, what the Bible says, what God tells me. But I don't know, I can mathematically, you know, logistically in my mind and everything say exactly why God chose Israel and why they're set aside and now why he's coming to the Gentiles and why he's going back to Israel again. But you see, that's not the issue. It's not my wisdom, it's his wisdom. It's God's wisdom that matters. 
Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He's simply saying that God is so wise, he doesn't make any mistakes. And whether we can pack it into our mindset or not, God is still going to bring salvation to Israel. Look at several things. We don't have time to go into detail of, of all these, but unsearchable simply means you cannot even begin to explore it when you look at it in the Greek. There's no way we can fully explore the judgments, the, the, the ways of God, the, the God's mode, God, the way that God walks, His pathway, the decisions that He makes. The word inscrutable is a word in in the Greek that means not to be tracked out or traceable. I can't track down everything that God's doing. I can't trace everything that God's doing. I don't have that ability, that wisdom, to be able to begin to do it because He's the one that's supreme in authority. He's the Lord I'm not. Then Paul says this. He he said, who's been a counselor of of God? Who's been a consultant and advisor Someone that gives advice or counsel. Here's the root words that's used to build that word. It means to join together with for the purpose of giving advice. Now, if I'm wrong, you let me know and everything. But is there anybody here that's ever called a conference meeting with God? And you say, God, come here a minute. I need to explain something to you. God, I need to give you some advice. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you some information that you need. God, I'm going to counsel you. Anybody? I mean, you might have thought you were, but I mean, anybody? The answer is no. No no one can be God's counselor because of His wisdom. He also said, who has given anything to God that God would have to, to repay them? And next slide. And the word there means like he's having to pay a debt, like he owes you something. And once again, the answer is no. None of us have ever given anything to God to where God says, man, I'm in your debt now. I have to pay you. You see, the truth of the matter is God is God and we're not, as we've already been mentioned, because the Bible says we're from Him, and that denotes the origin. That's where we're from. God created us. God made us. We're through Him. That means the channel of the act for us to be in a relationship with Him, to get to Him, is through Him Himself and what He did through His Son on the cross. We are to Him. And, and the word to that He uses there indicates the point reached or entered. More or less, it's talking about our destiny or the, the point that we ought to even be living our lives for is to one day be with God for all eternity. And he says to him, be glory forever. Compound word, all ages, all periods of time. To him, be glory forever. Amen. In other words, let that always be true. It is always true. God, in his wisdom, whether you can understand it, whether I can understand it or not, decided that he's going to call this group of people together that didn't even exist 
and turn them into the nation of Israel. Make them a nation. And he's going to be their God. And yet, when he sends them their king, their Messiah, they, they reject him the first time. So God, in his wisdom, always knew it would happen. God, in his wisdom, comes to the Gentiles, all the non-Jewish world, and he's offering salvation. But God, in his wisdom, also is not finished with Israel. And he will indeed offer salvation to Israel. God knows what he's doing. God is God. You're not. I'm not. And no matter what anyone else thinks or whether they like it or not, God is the one that has all knowledge, all wisdom, all power, all authority. And your only hope is to understand because He's your origin, you're from Him. The only way to get to Him is through Him. He's the channel of the act, our salvation, our relationship with Him through Christ. And our eternal destiny needs to be that we are focused on going to Him. And after Paul says that, he just breaks out in praise. And he says, to Him be glory forever. His theology becomes doxology. His theology becomes praise. What he believes provokes worship. And I'll do the same thing in our lives. God, in his wisdom, knew how to time it in his timing based on his promise and his character to give mercy to us and to Israel. The best way maybe to understand the whole section is to take part of one of the first phrases in, in these verses. I don't want you to be ignorant of the mysteries, brothers. First part of, of chapter 11. And, and then he says this, God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Don't be ignorant of this. We all are lost. We all have been disobedient because of our unbelief. And he put us all in the same boat so he could have mercy upon us. You know what that tells me? It tells me if you already know Christ as your Savior, you ought to worship with Paul. The band's going to be out in just a minute, and uh, as they lead in worship, you ought to let your theology become a doxology. You ought to praise him because God is wise, because God in his timing saved you, because God keeps his promises, because of God's character. And you ought to worship. But if you don't know him as Savior, what Paul also said here that he put us all together so he can offer mercy to all, guess what? There's still room for you. He still wants you. He still loved you enough to put his son on a cross in your place if you'll believe in him. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you that you're a faithful God. We thank you, God, that you will not and cannot lie to us. Father, we thank you that you're in, in your timing. You sent your Son into this world to die on a cross for our sins. Father, we, God, we thank you for you being a God that always keeps his promise. And when you offer salvation, 
to us through Jesus and through faith in Him. You will never, ever take it back because of your character. You can't lie. You will never lie. You'll never take back your word. God, we thank you so much for your mercy because we all need mercy because we're all sinners. God, we thank you for your amazing wisdom because you knew in eternity past we can never be good enough. Israel can never be good enough. And it's not based upon our actions, but it's based upon what you have done through your Son. We thank you. We praise you. Glory to you forever for what you've done in Christ. Father, I pray those of us that know Him right now as, as we sing this song of invitation, God, I pray that you'll help us who know Christ to, with Paul, celebrate and praise you because of your great wisdom in providing salvation through your Son. But Father, I also pray if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, that you'll extend a call to them, a call that they'll answer, and that they will believe by faith in Jesus, knowing that you will never, ever take your promise back. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.